This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Mirai is Japanese for the future. And in the future, your commute will be less expensive. Because now you can get a special lease on a Toyota Mirai. Powered by hydrogen, it emits only water. And Toyota will cover three years' worth of your fuel costs up to $15,000. You'll also get three years' no-cost scheduled maintenance, HOV lane access, and may be eligible for a $5,000 state rebate. The future sounds pretty good, huh? Get your special lease on a Mirai today. See San Francisco Toyota or click the banner for details. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, loyal fans of the Hard Work Knox podcast. This is Dan Favalli, and I'm here with my co-hosts Adam Frommel and Andrew Bailey. This is episode number two in our epic podcast series, so get pumped. We are doing the season preview for the Boston Celtics, who are one of my favorite teams in the league right now, just the way they're built. But I'm not going to start things off. We're going to go right to Andrew Bailey. And I think the first question I really want to ask is, sum up, please, the Boston Celtics offseason for me in less than 10 words. Um... Um counts as one, right? <laughs> so I'm you thinking, can just sum it up with um. <laughs> that works too. Okay, I'm going to do probably it. about what I would do. So front court log jam. I know log jam's a dumb cliche, but I I can't think of any other way to to phrase it right now. How many forwards and centers do they have? I think that's uh, their entire roster, right? <laughs> they have like one center and a crap ton of forwards. Yeah, I guess they any half the guys that are going to play center are power forwards. All right, so let's. I guess, well, now we'll start things off for real, I suppose. What is the biggest problem with this roster right now, Adam? I have no idea who plays where and who plays what minutes. I mean, just to further the, the front court logjam issue, David Lee, Jared Solinger, Amir Johnson, Jonas Jurebko, Jordan Mickey, Kelly Olynyk, Perry Jones, maybe a little bit of Dre Crowder. Those are all power forwards. Like, what do you do with that? I have no idea. Like, I like the individual pieces here. I just have no clue what it's going to do. Can, I'm going straight to Perry Jones, but can Perry Jones play a little <laughs> bit of three? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He could play. He, he was really supposed to be the backup for Kevin Durant in Oklahoma City, but to play that position is pretty much to screw your career over because you're not going to get any playing time behind Kevin Durant or a chance to develop. So let's not forget, I think the secret weapon in all of this, before we even talk about the roster, Brad Stevens, who just extracts production out of guys who really haven't performed well anywhere else. You know, last season alone, you, you look at Tyler Zeller, you look at Evan Turner, you look at Jay Crowder, you look at how Jonas Jerubko fared there once he got to Boston. These pieces may be a mess right now. This may be a jumbled roster, but it can all come together in the right system. So the one thing I just want to say and just get it off my chest right now, these Celtics are going to be the 2012-2013 Nuggets of the East. They're going to be fast and fun and deep, and I think they're going to surprise a ton of people. I can see Adam shaking his head right now, and for the life of me, 
I do not want to hear why, but go ahead. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to respond to first. So I'll start with Stevens. Love him. He's the saving grace of the team because everything he touches just inevitably turns to gold. But like, we're really going to compare them to the Nuggets. Like That was a, a veteran-laden team that was really good. They didn't lose at home. They were awesome. So I'll give you deep and fun at certain positions. Who's going to space the court from the wings? How are they going to figure out who's going to distribute the ball to everybody? Who's going to play center against another actual big man? Like, there are way too many questions for me to expect them to, like, rise up near the top of the standings. Yeah, they'll probably make the, the, the playoffs in the Eastern Conference because it's the Eastern Conference. But, like, I don't have that much confidence in this team at all. Just to clarify, I don't think they're going to win 57 games. And I think a huge part of why those Nuggets won 57 games is because of their home court advantage. You know, I don't think teams are accustomed to playing uh, in the altitude in Denver. But I do think this is a team that could flirt with 50 victories if everything sort of goes their way. They have enough playmaking as long as Marcus Smart is healthy and Isaiah Thomas is playing. They have enough shooting if you want to run driving kicks. You look, they have two stretch fours essentially in Kelly Olenek or Jared Sullinger. They can even get shooting out of the center position if you run with Kelly Olenek there. You have Evan Turner shot a little bit better last year. Jay Crowder shoots pretty well. Jonas Jarubko is a good shooter at the four spot. The lane gets a little bit clogged when you're talking about Amir Johnson and David Lee. Maybe you think about playing those guys at center. My biggest issue with them is they don't have a rim protector, and that, that could really hurt their defense. But I will say that they had a mediocre to middle defense without a rim protector last year, and I think you have to credit Stevenson's defensive schemes again on the perimeter with that there. So I'm not concerned in the slightest. I just want to clarify before letting Andy kind of arbitrate between us here. When you say that everything has to go right for them to win 50 games, does that like involve every other star in the Eastern Conference like tearing their ACL simultaneously? Because that's about I the see, only way I can see that happening. First of all, I said if some, or I meant to say if some things break right. This is still a team. But where it would have to break right. With the injury analogy. So. No, not with other teams. I am fully confident in this team. You, this, There's a lot of talent on this team, and I'm a big believer with under the right coaching, talent is going to figure things out. And I think the Celtics, under Brad Stevens last year, proved that if they have quality guys, they're going to figure things out. I don't know about 50, but I think I lean a little bit more towards Dan. Suck uh, it, Adam. <laughs> I don't know if I can give him 50, though, but I do see what you're saying about, you know, general talent and having a really good coach who knows how to make pieces fit together. Um, this is going to be a really tough um, – it's going to be a tough job for him, though, because like I said at the start, you have a lot of guys that are you know, almost redundant, um, you know, power forward after power forward after power forward. I don't, I don't really know what you do. With all of them, you can't play. I mean, we said you can play Perry Jones at the three, you can play Jay Crowder at the three, um, but they still just have so much redundancy at the four. And then, it, you know, kind of with what Adam's saying, you don't have great or at least not, you know, proven shooting from the guards to kind of create space for all those big guys to work inside. Oh, did they trade Avery Bradley? <laughs> Well, Avery Bradley's decent and Isaiah Thomas is decent, but who's going to have the ball in his hands? It's it's going to be mostly Marcus Smart, right? Yeah, and I, he's a perfect driving kick point guard, especially because he can post up, so he's going to be able to pass out to the orbiting shooters. And again, I don't want to set 50 as their um, over-under. I know that's an ambitious prediction, but this is a team, how do we set their over-under below 
you know, justifiably 45 games in this Eastern Conference. Or for, I'll give you 44. That's as low as I'm willing to go for them in terms of over-under. They just have a lot of talent, and I do think you're going to have to figure out uh, that front court, you know, clog that they have going on there. But I do think that Brad Stevens is smart enough to know that maybe he doesn't really need to play David Lee a bunch of minutes, but I do think you're going to see him use Lee and Zeller and maybe Amir Johnson a lot at the center position so that you give minutes to Olenek and Jared Sullinger and Jonas Jerubko at the four. And that, that should really help, you know, let things flow a little bit better. And probably the thing we're not talking about here is come February 2016, this roster is probably going to look a little bit, if not drastically different, because they have all these assets and they probably have some of the best trade pieces in the league right now. So if there's a disgruntled superstar out there or if there's a quality player who could be had at the deadline, the Celtics are in a position where they can go out and get them, not just because they have the assets, but because they're in an Eastern Conference where they can compete now, especially if they get more of the right guys. So I, I do think that's the caveat here is, yes, they have all this talent, but they're going to break it up at some point. It's probably going to happen during the middle of next season. Yeah, they almost have to, and especially because I don't really think the Celtics know who they want to be yet. And we've seen other teams get into trouble when they, they go down that same route. And, you know, you compare them earlier to the 2013 Nuggets. I'd almost rather compare them to the 2014 and 15 Nuggets, a, a team that had some quality pieces. They like to play fast, but they didn't really have an identity, and it held them back. You know, I, individually, I like so many guys on this roster, including the guy on the sidelines. Um, but it seems like nobody's quite sure what they need to be doing. And you brought up Marcus Smart earlier and, and mentioned that he's a drive-and-kick point guard. Is he? Like, that's what he was in college. But it was kind of weird because even though shooting was the biggest knock on him coming out of Oklahoma State, he suddenly developed into a point guard who would rather spot up on the perimeter. And he had great numbers in that situation. But he didn't when he was driving and kicking. So I think this is going to take a lot more time than we necessarily think right off the bat when looking at the roster, just because they have so many different players and the team as a whole that have to figure out who or what they want to be. And that's only going to get complicated if they do try and make some big moves at the deadline. Okay, so I'm thinking let's, let's all play Brad Stevens here for a second and try to figure out what the identity would be. Hold uh, on, let me get my comb over going. <laughs> okay. Because I was thinking, too, when Dan was talking, um, you, you named all the big guys, and you still named, like, six of them. So who actually plays, and who, you know, what, what is the identity of this team? If, if you're the coach right now. I mean, I think you look at the contract that they gave Amir Johnson, and I think that he is going to play. I think, I think if you're looking at it, if you want me to – but let's, let's forget about the money. Let's forget about the money. And just from the basketball talent, what do you want to do with this team? I want, I want to run. I want to space the floor. And that's how I want to win. You rely on your perimeter guys like Avery Bradley, like Evan Turner, like Marcus Smart to give you some defense. You can even throw Jay Crowder in there. You're going to have to deal with the mismatches you're going to have at center, the fact that you're not going to have a rim protector. But that's the same problem you dealt with last year, and you were okay. Again, you weren't great. But you were okay, and it got you to the playoffs. I mean, this team ranked 12th in defensive efficiency last season. They didn't have a rim protector. I think their biggest problem was actually their offense. And if anything, they're closer to getting an identity on that end of the floor now because you have so much talent. You have a couple guys who can pass out of the post. And I think what you really need to do is you look at those perimeter guys and you say, hey, we need to run again because they ran pretty quick last year. I think they were in the top five of pace or something like that. 
you know that's your identity, so you see which big guys fall into line with that. You give Lee and Amir Johnson a chance, and Tyler Zeller to prove themselves there, but if they're not going to be able to run or help you space the floor or pass out of the post, that's when you start running Kelly Olenek back at center, where you just rely on Jared Sellinger as much as you did last season. So, so that's where I would go. I'm working from the outside in with them, and I don't think that's a problem. That's almost the direction most of the league is trending in right now. Again, I do think this roster is going to be broken up eventually, but until then, just work from the inside out and see which big guys, because you have six of them, are going to fit that dynamic on, on the outside. I want to double down on what Dan is saying and just go as small as possible. You know, I want to see some lineups where they have Marcus Smart, Isaiah Thomas, and Avery Bradley on the on the floor at the same time. Maybe play Crowder at the at the four and and Having see what Soldier can do at the five. Seven, yeah, get as many small pieces out there as possible and just run everyone off the court. I mean, you got a lot of young people. Everyone seems to be in good shape, especially now that Solinger has trimmed down a lot. I don't know if you guys have seen <laughs> pictures of him, but it's amazing. Like yeah, this, this is the time of year for best shape of his life, but he actually like embodies that right now. Uh, ah. So go go small, like just get up a lot of perimeter shots, a lot of pesky defenders. They got a lot of guys with good hands that can wreak some havoc in passing lanes, and don't worry about matching size. You know, just take that to an extreme and force other teams to to have to downsize to keep up with you. I think the other thing we really need to talk about here, and it's just a quick point and sort of trying to support myself. I'm a big believer, and especially with this roster, things are really going to get figured out. A lot of these guys aren't poster boards for health. I mean, I mean, you just look at Marcus Smart has had his problems. Avery Bradley has had his problems. Jared Sullinger has had his problems. Kelly Olynyk has had his problems. So maybe this thing is going to just figure itself out organically. Again, you don't want to talk about players getting injured, but doesn't that sort of tend to happen in a certain situation where this depth could become a necessity because you have a bunch of injury risks on the roster right now? Especially when Olenek is involved. Yeah. Oh, man, Kevin Love's ears are probably burning <laughs> right now. Yeah, I don't know if he's pulling people's arms out of their sockets in practice, but maybe that's the key to figuring out Boston's rotation. <laughs> yeah, tell him to let loose in practice and just kill. <laughs> Give him the order to kill. <laughs> Whoever you don't want to play, um, but at the same time don't want to tell you're not playing, just have Olenek guard him in practice. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. But yeah, Andy, you asked the question originally, so how would you, how would you have them run things out? I really like uh, the idea of small ball, um, but at the same time, you still have all these... I, don't, I, I mean, obviously in the NBA, you can't worry about hurting guys' feelings, but you have so many <laughs> players who aren't going to play, and like we've said, they're going to make trades that Boston has a ton of assets, not just what's on the roster. I don't know how many future draft picks they have coming their way. They have uh, more first-round picks than I have cousins, I think. Okay. Well, that makes my point for me. There's there's a lot of future considerations they have, too, so they're going to make moves. The only the question I have about the small ball lineup is, you know, Dan talked about spreading the floor, but I don't, I don't know if they have guys that spread the floor. Uh, theoretically, there are names on the roster – uh, like Avery Blatt, Bradley, Kelly Olenek, some of those guys um, who are supposed to be good shooters. Um, but I just looked up their three-point percentage as a team is is below 33, and it was 27th in the league last year. Um, Avery Bradley, one of their better shooters, is is 35%, which is probably right around league average. So you have to have at least one or two guys who will – and and they're young, so it's it's not unreasonable to expect this, but somebody's got to develop. 
I, I agree with you there. And that's probably the biggest concern with their shooting might be on, you know, the wings because you look at Jared Sumner wasn't great from behind the arc last year and Kelly Olynyk shot under 35%, but that will get you by up front because you're still not every big is shooting threes. The goal is to just be a little bit of a threat so you can stretch the defense. You're going to hope that Marcus Smart improves his shot. I think with the volume that Avery Bradley was shooting, his percentage was pretty okay. I mean, he was attempting 4.6 trays a game last year. So you do need guys who are going to develop, and that's going to be a key for them. But aren't they young enough to where you can sort of at least hope that happens, if not bank on that happening? Again, if you're going to play fast, it might open things up. And, you know, Isaiah Thomas is, is probably an upgrade over what they had for most of last season on the perimeter. He didn't shoot great from downtown once he got there, but he was close to 35%. And that will probably get it done if you're going to take a bunch of threes, which is what I think they need to do, is just attack the basket and take a bunch of threes and just try and get out in transition. But I, I, you are right there. I really didn't take into consideration how bad some of their outside guys are at shooting historically, especially look at a guy like Evan Turner. That That's going to be problematic. I mean, just to clarify, Solinger shot 28.3% from three-point range last season, and that was the best mark of his career. Like, if, if he's not going to improve substantially, that's not a guy that you actually want taking shots. Well, he I just mean, started that's... shooting threes. And, I, I mean, again, we're looking at a kid who's he's 23 now, and he really has only been a stretch forward for, like, one and a half seasons. Sure, so, but to convince yourself on this team, you have to convince yourself that players like Solinger are going to take that leap. And I, don't, I can't see that happening because there aren't the complementary pieces from the outside who are going to consistently draw that defensive attention. The, the only way I can really see it happening is if all of a sudden R.J. Hunter blossoms and starts getting minutes. And he looked terrible in summer league. Uh, I mean, I, li- I like his game. I liked him at Georgia State. But if he's not hitting shots, I don't know who in the backcourt is going to consistently. And then you're just betting on a lot of leaps that you might not want to be relying on. Um, on R.J. Hunter, he looked pretty bad in the Salt Lake Summer League, like really bad. I think I don't think he made a field goal there. Um, That's he, bad. Yeah, but then <laughs> at Vegas, he's—I mean, his shooting percentage was still bad in Vegas, but it was—I mean, it was like thirty-five percent or something. But here's my silver lining on R.J. Hunter, um, and obviously, Hold on, let me buckle up. <laughs> All right, go. Typical summer league caveat. You know, obviously, not everything translates from summer league to the regular season. But he showed me, at least, a little bit of a knack of, of being able to draw fouls. And he reminded me a lot of Kevin Martin in that way, where even if he shoots low 40s from the field and maybe mid-30s from three, he can still have a solid true shooting percentage. Um, and like you were saying, Dan, um, sometimes volume is enough to draw defenders out. If you can hit 35% and do it maybe on four or five attempts a game, it's still... Uh, it's still a little bit of a weapon. Oh, absolutely. And I think really a lot of this comes back to, isn't this kind of the point of having so many options? I mean, because someone might come in, step up and start hitting shots. Maybe RJ Hunter does shoot pretty well from three. I mean, he looked awful in his final year in college in terms of shooting and volume. His shooting percentage wasn't that good. But, you know, what if a guy like James Young starts shooting as well as he did towards that one year he had in college. He was pretty bad last year. Again, the sample size was pretty limited, but he was a guy who hovered around 35% 
while he was at Kentucky. So again, these things, they have to break right, but that's why you have so many options because it increases the likelihood that they break right. And maybe that's why I really feel so bullish on this team is because they have so many options and there's so much talent there that even if there's so many questions, a few of them, at least a few, have to go the Celtics' way. And that could be huge for them in an Eastern Conference that is sort of begging for a team to break out. And that could be that team. This could be that team. But in order to get those things to break right, you have to give them an opportunity to break right. And I don't see how the Celtics are going to be able to do that and win games at the same time. I mean, you're going to be running experiments. You're going to be seeing who can work with who, who's going to be able to shoot better from the outside than they did last season. And that takes time to figure it out. And that's time that they're not going to have if they're chasing that 45 to 50 win barrier. For the record, I think they're going to have a winning record. You know, they, they've got a, a great defensive system in place. They've got a lot of fun young pieces. But beyond that, it just it's possible. I don't know that it's likely. Well, here's the thing. They were doing everything you just talked about last year. You know, they made a bunch of additions throughout the season. Uh, Brad Stevens tinkered with the lineup. And that's a team that still made the playoffs. Again, you know, your record's not great. You have a losing record. That's not good. But they were able to do that while they were trying to figure all these things out. And I think they have a better grasp of who works together well now because you had some of that time in between the trade deadline and the playoffs to really experiment and figure out what's going to work. I do agree that you know figuring out playing time is going to be an issue because you have so much talent and you can't really afford to dilute it. You don't want you know, 10, 11 guys playing you know, 10 or 15 minutes a game. That's not what you want because you want to establish some continuity. But a lot of these guys were here last year. I mean, the biggest additions really that you're looking to work in are how do Amir Johnson and David Lee fit into this team? But everybody else, they're pretty much bringing back. They have an idea of how John Estorabco is going to work. They have an idea of how Isaiah Thomas can work. So it's not really like they're starting from scratch. And even while they're going to be experimenting, that was still good enough to make the playoffs last year. And you have to imagine that they're going to be at least a little bit better this year, which I would think would put them in that 44-45 win territory. This is a random question that what you just said made me think of that I want to direct at Andy. You know, last season in college basketball, we saw Kentucky run essentially a platoon system where they had a first unit and a second unit, and they almost functioned like hockey lines. Could we see a team like Boston that's this deep and is going to have this many players capable of contributing? Could something like that work in the NBA? I don't like it at all. Um, I think the benefit of staggering substitutions um, is that you can you can play a lot of different styles when you mix in um, different players coming in and out. Um, you can play to certain strengths. I think if you're tailoring entire five-man um, units that way, um, I think it's easier to game plan for. Um, I think... I just it just doesn't make it a lot of sense to me. It works in college when you're Kentucky and you have ten of the top 100 recruits, um, and you want to get everybody on the floor. But I think in the NBA you've got to find a little bit, you've got to find a way to balance individual strengths um, a little bit better. I totally agree with you, and I do think though that you can still have that nine or ten guy rotation without having to run those platoon lineups. And the Warriors just proved that this past season. Mark Jackson. In 2013-2014, he was big on those hockey lineups. They really didn't work well because the Warriors' second unit got killed. But Steve Kerr comes in, he's still using a bunch of players, and he was able to do that without running those platoon lineups. So I think that's encouraging is that the Celtics could really experiment with 10 guys without having to rely on something that, as Andy pointed out, really isn't good for the NBA. 
Yeah, I totally agree. It was, I mean, just a creative idea I wanted to throw out there. Um, my only concern with trying to do something like what the Warriors did is that, you know, they, they had a lot of veterans on that team who had established careers. You know, Iguodala, we know what he is at this point, so he can make that sacrifice. And with a lot of the people on this team, I mean, everyone's young. So I don't know that you're really going to be able to get that same level of commitment from players who still need to prove themselves in the NBA. I mean, there, there aren't a lot of guys coming off the bench here or maybe starting. I don't know what they're going to do at this point uh, who could go elsewhere and immediately get playing time. So like you were saying, Adam, it's, you know, with, with young guys, um, a lot of people are going to be trying to prove themselves. So it's going to be harder to, um, you know, keep everybody happy the way the Warriors did it with a lot of veterans there. Um, but there's still going to be somebody or at least, you know, one or two guys who can kind of break out and just make Brad Stevens play him. Um, who do you guys think would be sort of your breakout candidate for the Celtics? I want to go with Jordan Mickey, even though he's a rookie. And I don't know if we're allowed to call rookies breakout candidates, but I love what he brings to the table. I mean, good interior presence, great rebounder. He's probably going to be one of the best rim protectors on that roster from day one. And I think that even though he wasn't taken early in the draft, that we could see him emerge as not really a rookie of the year candidate, but probably a candidate for one of those all-rookie teams and really fill in some of their biggest weaknesses. Uh, for me, it's Jay Crowder. I mean, they're really betting on him hard. They signed him for, what was it, like four years and $35 million or five years and I think it was five million. and 35 yeah. which was such a great contract, though. Uh, I yeah, love gonna, that. It could wind up looking really well, and I think he's going to do really well in the system. He's one of those guys who can defend on the perimeter. He's probably going to be one of their best rim protectors just in terms of he can play the four and is just athletic enough to do that. He doesn't block shots, but – He's aggressive enough. You want to see his three-point percentage improve. It plummeted once it once he went to Boston. Like he wasn't really that great as it already was. But they see something in him, and I do too. I mean, he's he can be a pretty good passer at times when he's focused. He, he can sh- stroke that three. He can defend. He sort of reminds me of someone who could end up being matching Damari Carroll. That's sort of who I see in him. Maybe he could even be a little bit better just because he looks like he can be a little bit more aggressive off the dribble. But that's who I sort of see in him. And I think that under Brad Stevens and next season when you're playing around all this talent, he's not going to be one of their primary scorers, and he's going to be left open a lot. I think you're going to see him make a leap on offense while doing some things on defense that are really going to help the Celtics survive. I like both those picks a lot. Um, Mickey at, at times was the best player on that summer league team. And I, I don't think it's out of bounds to call a second-round pick. He was a second-round pick, right? Uh, I can't remember if he was at the very end of the first round or in the second round. But, you know, somebody who comes into the league without a ton of fanfare, um, you know, I think that's fair game to call him breakout. And then Crowder, I totally agree with you, Dan. He's kind of that new en vogue, you know, combo forward position, can do a lot of different things, um, kind of like we talked about in the Hawks with that that first episode that we did. Um my breakout candidate is another free agent signing they had. It's it's Amir Johnson, who in Toronto was, uh, and his contract, it looked kind of big to me at first, but then you talk about the rising salary cap and all that. Um, but in Toronto, he was just kind of a garbage man. Um, you know, collect offensive rebounds, play solid defense, stuff like that. I think one of the greatest strengths of Brad Stevens is that he really empowers his players. Um, he, he gives them confidence, and he just lets them co- kind of 
play their game. And I think he'll do that with Amir Johnson. I think we'll probably see him in some more pick and roll, see his athleticism on display a little bit more. He'll, he'll get more opportunities in transition. Um, and I, I just think he's really going to benefit from Stevens. Well, I think by us all picking three different breakout candidates, it <laughs> kind of sums up where the Boston Celtics are headed and what yeah. their greatest problem and also greatest strength is. But we are once again out of time. So it is time for what burns my bacon. And Andy is going to be taking us home this time. Well, gentlemen, I'm staying in the uh, New England area for some bacon this evening. Um, I don't typically watch SportsCenter. I haven't, I haven't seen it in years. Um, you know, I'll maybe catch a, a minute or two here and there. This morning at maybe 6 a.m. or something, I was up with my crying daughter, and I flipped on SportsCenter, and it was wall-to-wall Tom Brady. And I just, I for the life of me, cannot figure out why I'm supposed to care. I couldn't figure out why I was supposed to care when it happened. I couldn't figure out two months later. I couldn't figure out three months later how it's been, what, six months now, seven months since this happened? Yeah, it's been, it feels like it's been 10 years, though. Yeah, and I just don't know. I don't, I don't care about either side's story. I just, I flat out don't care. And no matter how hard ESPN tries to make me care, I just, I cannot do it. And that is what's burning my bacon. Well, I think a lot of people's bacon is sizzling at that one. I would tend to agree with you. Uh, just for clarity's sake, Jordan Mickey was drafted in the second round at Beautiful. number 33. So mm. consider this our error session that they do at the end of PTI. <laughs> um, now it's time to move on to, if you want to follow us at social media, you can check out Mr. Adam Frommel. He is at Frommel9, that's 09 for the digits. Andy is at Andrew D. Bailey. It is spelled like it sounds. And I am at Dan Favali. That is F-A-V-A-L-E. Until next time, we are Andy, Adam, and Dan of Hardwick Knox. Take care, everybody. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.